hey, 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 everybody. Happy Tuesday and welcome to Night Shift with Andrea Up Late. Uh, I don't, is this like a working title now? Should it be NBC Sanders? Like, this, no. is that how it goes? No. Mm -mm. Okay. That just means he can't commit. So, <laughs> <laughs> welcome everybody to Night Shift with Andrea Up Late. This is my co-host, BC Sanders. He is also co-host of the Disruptors podcast with BC and Ski. They have a YouTube channel of the same name. Uh, if you're watching live, just like you are watching the Andrea Up Late channel on YouTube right now. So welcome back, everybody. If you are new here, this is a true crime podcast. So keep these things in mind. Um, tonight's case is particularly kind of uh, mm -hmm. gruesome. So just keep mm -hmm. these things in mind as you listen. Uh, but if you're here, I think you know what you're here for. So that's what we will continue with. Um, but welcome back. Also, if you're a new listener, since I said it is a live YouTube show, meaning occasionally we will engage in the chats. You can always hop on to YouTube. It's free. If you just log in, you can always be in the chats yourself and we can say, hey, and you can ask questions and all these, all these, uh, all these cool things, like ask questions about the case. We have that happen a lot and that's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you are unaware, BC Sanders is a retired homicide lieutenant, so he can offer a lot of insight when we have these cases, particularly when we talk about the investigative portion um, and so forth and so on. How are you, BC? <laughs> wonderful as always. Absolutely wonderful. Well, good. Yeah. Good. Anything new? Nope. Nothing new. All right. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> no. Yeah. Just trucking on with the training. Doing some okay. game classes uh, coming up. So I've got Chicago-based gangs because, unfortunately, they're all over uh, most of the South um, and most of, obviously, the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, people can hit me up on Instagram or yep. shoot an email to the disruptors.bc.ski, that's S-K-I, at Gmail. And I'll let me know they're interested and I'll shoot them the dates. Yeah. Yeah. What am I hearing? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is everything clear for you guys? Um, hey to everybody in the chats. We got Carly. We got Imperial Girl. Teresa. Silly. Uh, Charlie Z. Hey, everybody. Um, so it's good to see all y'all. She said me. Okay. What's up? Huh? Oh, you just typing? I wasn't even going to type. I don't want to distract you, you at can all. Type, but I'm not even doing the case right now. <laughs> My brain's like squirrel, guys, so, so it doesn't take a lot. Well, so also, so everybody knows, I finally learned how to type in the comments. In and general. I think it was the last episode where I was like typing a novel over here and it was a little distracting. So I've uh, kind of limited. Yeah. And to answer, we've got a, um, we got a friend in the chat, Davey, who's asking about BC's classes, same price as last time. I believe so. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and I like when Davey jumps in, um, uh, anytime we talk about gang stuff, he's pretty knowledgeable. He sent me some book recommendations. Mm -hmm. I've been posting those or reposting those, but um, yeah. Yeah, no, the classes are going well. Carly's on here in the comments. She's taking a class as well. So there'll just be different categories coming out. Yeah. And we've talked about, too, with doing some um, sessions with homicide investigations, crime scene explanations. That's all my people over here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've got a buddy uh, out in the wings there who's going to eventually start doing similar things that I'm doing. Okay. And he's worked huge cases before background very strong in probably about 15 years of homicide. So 
Wonderful. He'll get up and running probably next month, um, but I'll put some dates out for that as well for some cold case investigations Ooh, fantastic. That, that citizens can take. I'll yeah. definitely be taking those. Mm -hmm. Is that a conflict of interest? Hold on, wait, what? If I take his classes. <laughs> yeah, that would be. <laughs> you only have time and money for my classes. Don't be... uh -uh. Uh -uh. <laughs> hey, James, in the chat. Um, all right. The case we're talking about tonight is from 2014. If you're not familiar, it is the Jessica Chambers case. It's horrific. It is, uh, for all intents and purposes, currently unsolved. I think a lot of people call it, quote, unknown. Uh, it's not, it's, well, we'll just see. I want to hear your opinion on it. But before we get into it, we will talk just the teeniest bit about the year 2014. I went through a phase where I was talking about mm -hmm. pop culture and things like this um, that pertain to the year that the case occurred that we will be talking about on the show. And so this, this night, it's 2014. I, to be honest, um, have been struggling and spread out thin here and have been spending all my time on the case. So I don't have a lot pulled up for 2014 in my brain. It was a meh year anyway. Yeah. Essentially like 2010 to 2020. I'm not even sure if anything happened. It's a blur. It's a blur. <laughs> happened, it, right? it is a blur as in how your brain recalls things. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you that the, the puny bits that I pulled up from 2014. Okay. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy was number one. Let me mark that off the list. Do you Go have ahead. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't Go discuss ahead. beforehand what we were pulling. No, we Sorry. didn't. Sorry. So. That's a good one. I should have yeah. known you might pick that one. Yeah. We have the Bill Cosby scandal. Okay. I do. Yeah. Is it on your list? No, it's not. But uh, Maybe that's what I should do now is try to get three for three. Pick the three that you picked. Yeah. Hannibal, that was one like Hannibal Barris, Barris, the comedian, kind of did this the skit. Bill? Or the, um, yeah, he did the comment about Bill Cosby being a rapist. People booed him, <sighs> but it started coming out. You're saying like in the news or or the or the charges maybe then? I can't remember. Yeah, I think that's just like when the scandal erupted. So yeah. whatever that exactly means. Um, oh, silly. That's terrible, honey. Um, mm. I do wonder if we'll have to go back. Did the Simpsons ever do an episode on Bill Cosby being a creeper? You know, I don't, I only remember when the Simpsons were on the Tracy Ullman show. I only say that because right. there's so much that they did. You know right. what I mean? That they, like seemed to be <laughs> prophetic mm -hmm. in nature. And so yeah. it would be something we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if anybody in the chats knows that let's uh, help us out. Be our little mini producers here. Mm -hmm. Or mega producers. All right. And then. Oh, gone girl. I guess that would have been the movie rather than the book, but okay. I read yeah. the book and I watched the movie and I actually dug it. Did you guys in the chats read or watch Gone Girl? Super weird, kind of dark. Um, I think Neil Patrick Harris was in the movie version. Did you ever see that? It's about a... Uh, maybe a, Ben Aff Affleck is... The, unless I'm thinking of... Wait, am I thinking of something different? It had... There's two I mixed up. The train... Up. Which one's the one that had the train? It wasn't girl on a train. It was like, there's a train that goes by this house, but she's, he like imprisons her in this bedroom, I think. There's like some, I don't know, oh. like some sex stuff, but she's tied up. It's like, it starts out good, but it turns creepy. You know, it's kind of one of those. Yeah, I don't remember that. I, I, that I right was actually. Do you remember it? Yeah, I read it too, Jen, but I'm afraid I'm mixing it up with something else now. Yeah, I think I mixed it up. It is Gone Girl. Okay, so there is a train outside of that house, right? Yeah. Type fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, that was a good uh -huh. one. Um, and then only for you, because I didn't have time to go through mm. all the music of 2014. Mm -hmm. I know, I know, I know. But I think about you a whole lot. So I wanted to reference that Maroon 5's Animal was a top Billboard hit in 2014. So. Maroon 5? Yeah, I think they're posters. Like, right? <laughs> You're a lot. They're not up there. <laughs> Look over there. No. Uh, I, mm -mm. I was not a Maroon 5 fan ever. No, I was not. I just don't dig them. Doesn't your other co-host Ski dress up as Adam Levine every Halloween? Yes. So that is a true fact. Ski okay. um, is, uh, what, what is his name? Avril, Avril Levine. <laughs> Same. Are they brother and sister? They should be. Adam. Adam Levine and Ski are twin cousins. They, they look identical in certain photos. It's kind of crazy. No, I wasn't a Maroon Five fan, so let's let's go to. The I next know Ski's not listening, so I feel, the, <laughs> I feel completely okay to do this. He's a huge supporter, though. Um, yeah, we talked the other day. He loves it. Okay, what do you got? What's your 2014? Before we dig in, because oh, we got a big yes. night tonight. Okay, so for for movies, John Wick. Oh. Um, so I I didn't know that. Like I didn't see John Wick until probably years later. Uh, I've never. I'm not on the cool um, cusp when it comes to movies and stuff like that. Uh, but John Wick came out in 2014. We talked Guardians of the Galaxy. The RoboCop remake. The reason I say that is because this was, I think, one of the first ones when they started doing all those remakes and reboots like mm -hmm. Red Dawn. And they're just not, they're not worth talking about. So, oh, good. I thought you were yeah, going to say Yeah, no, no, no. Right I was going to say it was almost started this era of like retro stuff. Um, so, yeah. Uh, sadly, well, songs. I pulled a song, uh, X's and O's. Oh, golly. And, Have y'all been L following that? L yeah. L King, L King. Have y'all followed that shenanigan? Um, evidently, we'll keep it short, but L King. <laughs> Bless you. I'm sorry. Um, uh, L King uh, recently performed at the Opry to celebrate Dolly's birthday on like a big night. And it's sad. I don't know if we got a problem going on there or what, but she was completely incoherent and many would say disrespectful in the words she chose, but it was kind of a whole thing and kind of yucky. That just was kind of all over the news in the past couple of weeks. But yes, I remember that song as well. Like for real though, that's the face you're going to give me when I say animal, but it's X's and O's. I didn't. I like that song. Okay. I'd forgotten about it. Remember, we got. Yeah. I got my wires crossed. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got that one confused with um, all about that bass. <laughs> I don't know why. Megan Trainer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got those mixed up. So, L King is it L King? L. L King's father was Rob Snyder. I didn't it know that. Still is actually. Or They're still. still yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Um. And that song was recorded at Sun Studios, apparently, in Memphis, Tennessee, which I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. Well, um, she's, she's been a lot of cool places, so I feel like there should be some yeah, reference there. Yeah. And, and uh, in 2014, you'll love this. That was the year that Coca-Cola put names, random names oh, on bottles. Oh, yeah. Never could find mine. Okay. Well, I found I it, Andrea, mm. I guess. That's like, yeah. Mm -mm. No, we don't do that. Uh, also, Coke's not the best product. We're like not that. doing this. So tonight. anyway, that was when they did the. Name. Also in 2014, there was a TV show called True Detective on HBO, 
and I am always interested in people in the comments or if you're uh -huh. watching this on YouTube at a later date, you know, put a comment up if um, you actually have seen the True Detective series on HBO. First season and third season I've seen, and they're incredible. First season had uh, Woody Harrelson and um, Matthew McConaughey. I'm down. Yeah. And then, brothers. and then the last thing I'll say is 2014 was the 20 year anniversary of one of the greatest movies of all time. What would that be? 1994? Yes. My girl. No. No, so, Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump. Forrest, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. 20 I was years. being silly with my girl, but yeah, yeah Forrest Gump yeah, was that 94. Was the, that was the, the 28 year anniversary of Forrest Gump. And that movie still holds up. So, Saw it in the theater. Yeah, I, I had to Google stuff because I 2014 was, Yeah. I mean, we were adults and, and living life, so you don't have those you were. milestones. Oh, okay. So, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, that all you got for pop pop culture? Uh, I would say in the comments, we've, we've got a, a solid character there saying that people have to know Judge or Gorilla Biscuits. Uh, in, in reference to when you just said 1994. So I won't, I won't sidetrack us, but... Uh, Go ahead and answer the question. Oh, and they're one, they're two of the greatest bands ever. Judge and Gorilla. You have to pick one. I feel oh, like that's how oh see, I, I read it wrong. Man, I'm going with Gorilla Biscuits. Greatest. Okay. Silly said Huey Lewis. Okay, well, all right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> You, you um, go with Huey Lewis. <laughs> listen, disagree hey, with this one a I lot. I found and the record that she got. So you did. Did you find it? I did. You remember. did. You did. Yeah. So we sent her. We sent Celia um, a forty-five of Huey Lewis because she loves him so dearly. Who was that? Oh, it's one of the punk rock cops. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, punk rock cops. All right, y'all ready to get this party started? Good people. Good gosh, it's dark in here. Y'all know I handwrite my notes, most of them, so. Um, okay. Tonight, like I said, we're going to be switching gears and talking about Jessica Chambers. Um, mm, mm, mm. This is a tough case, and in fact, it did make national news for a while back in 2014, uh, again, it's unsolved, or like I said, sometimes people will say unknown because they think they, they know who who did this, but uh, there's just not been a charge or a conviction, excuse me, yet. But let's go on and get right in. We're going to talk about Jessica Chambers. She was born February 2nd of 1995 um, in Clarksdale, Mississippi. So if you're not super familiar with the South, this would be like um, the tip of Mississippi that butts up to like the western border of Tennessee. So you're going to have like Tennessee, Arkansas to its west, Mississippi, Alabama, like they all kind of curl around the western portion of Tennessee. Uh, so that's where we are. Think about maybe a couple hours outside of Memphis to give you a, a bit of a reference there in Mississippi. So that's where she was born to Ben and Lisa Chambers. Uh, she grew up actually playing softball, but in her teenage years decided to switch and become a cheerleader. Now she has multiple brothers and sisters, and one of her sisters will say, she was surprised that she wanted to, uh, you know, ever be a cheerleader. And she was like almost like not disappointed in her. She just thought it wasn't really Jessica's personality. But she tried out for cheerleading, made the team and wound up thriving. She loved it. 
she was a petite little thing. So she was a flyer. That's the one that's on top that gets thrown up in the little pyramids. And so they said that she eat, breathed and lived uh, cheerleading during her high school years. Jessica's father actually worked as a mechanic for the Panola County Sheriff's Department. That's going to be the local sheriff's department there where they lived. So, again, he was a mechanic for the sheriff's department. Don't get that confused with him being an officer there. OK, so in saying that his name comes up a few times and we're going to reference the Panola County Sheriff's Department often. So just know that he's known these people for a long time um, because he worked there alongside them, at least at that location. And her mom worked retail at the goodies department store. Do you remember goodies? Mm -hmm. with yes. The orange lettering. Mm -hmm. um, so by the year 2014, Jessica was a graduate of South Panola County High School. And on December 6, 2014, this is going to be the day in question. At 8.07 p.m., a phone call was made to 911 by Latroy Rudd and Glenn Williams. All right. They had seen a burning car and they knew this was just out of the ordinary. This was a, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a rural area. And so they see this car on fire and call 911. Again, that's at 8.07 p.m. on December 6th of that year. So let's talk a little bit about Jessica's events that day. We don't have a whole lot. So I'm going to kind of go through the case quickly because there's not a lot of detail in what we're going to discuss, but I have much more of a detail when it comes to the timeline leading up to this particular event. So the day in question, like I said, is December 6th of 2014. Um, this day, Jessica spent uh, at her mom's. That's where she lived. She spent the morning with a couple of friends. Later on that day, she went on back to her mom's house and took a bit of a nap. A little bit later, she gets she gets a text and tells her mom she's going to go head out. She's going to grab a bite to eat and clean out her car. Uh, <laughs> this comes into place. Um, it comes into play, excuse me, a little bit later because there will be some differing thoughts on why would she be cleaning out her car? Like Why would she go to the neighboring town to get her car cleaned out? If she was just going to come back home, some people thought she was going to a party that was said to be happening that night. Um, but either way, that's what she tells mom. So she heads out <clears throat> that that afternoon on the 6th or kind of like early evening on the 6th. All right. So, like I said, that at 8.07 p.m., 911 dispatchers get a phone call that a car is burning. At 8.09 p.m., so two minutes later, this actually happened because we had some uh, EMS units working some training drills in the area. So they happened to be just right around the corner when this call was made. So at 8.09 p.m., the first responders arrived to the scene. And this is what we're going to talk about that they see. This is where it gets really, really tough. Um, but we kind of have to talk about it to not only lend gravity, but evidence in this case. So... The firefighters and paramedics are there and they see um, not only the burning car, but what they actually have equated to what looked like a zombie walking toward them. So Jessica was walking toward them, arms outstretched in front of her. Uh, I will play some of the call uh, probably on Instagram on Andrea up late tomorrow for you guys to listen to. It's kind of a lengthy call, so I'm not going to play it here tonight, but uh it's it's devastating to listen then to the testimony of the firefighter that witnessed Jessica later on at a trial that does occur. So she's walking toward them, arms, like I said, outstretched in front of her. They describe her hair to be just fried. Um, Jessica had fair 
skin, blue eyes, and blonde hair. And her hair was fried and sticking up kind of in every direction. The only thing that was not on fire on Jessica was the soles of her feet. Um, so her fire, her body, excuse me, had been burned over 98% of it. Um, and, and she's kind of stumbling toward them. They immediately get to her, wrap a blanket around her, assess her wounds. She's breathing. Like I said, she's walking. So she was breathing. She lies down. They ask her, who did this to you? She says, and they will say that they feel it was pretty clear that she said the word Eric. Eric did this to me. Some will later come back and say either Eric or Derek with a D. Um, so the first responder hears this. He turns around to ask his coworkers, did you guys hear that? Did anybody hear that? Because he knows he's just been given potentially some really big information. He wants mm -hmm. to make sure other people have heard this. So then the second thing they ask her is who she is. Now she says, Jessica Tambers with a T in the front. Her name is Chambers, C-H-A-M, okay? But keep in mind that she has been horrifically burned. So they talk about her um, like inner nostrils being black, the charring of her mouth and tongue, the inside of her mouth. It's horrific. The firefighter that then testifies later at the trial uh breaks down at the trial you can you can hear in his voice the tears he can hardly get through the testimony and in fact immediately after this event took place he quit the profession of firefighter never to look back um and i think has since received some professional help a few of them have had to receive professional help after seeing jessica in this state this evening um it was horrific so she was able to say her name for the most part, and she was able to say either Eric or Derek did this to her. So the ambulance arrives. They continue to look at her, look her over, uh, try to make sure she can either be resuscitated or keep her alive. And ultimately, the helicopter gets there, and she is lifelighted uh, to a hospital there in Memphis. Okay, so now we have the firefighters there who have and are currently putting out the fire that is burning in her car. Uh, her car is super incinerated to the point where I believe um, they talk about it had been, it was a black car, like a painted black car. Mm -hmm. And by the time you see photos of it, it is white. Um, okay. So it was fully engulfed. Uh, so what can you, Lynn, BC, when it comes to the idea of they come in, they do what they have to do. I'm not faulting the firefighters, but they spray the car. They extinguish this fire. And now we're left with the crime scene what do in terms of potentially destroying evidence or making that more difficult? Yeah, it basically does. It just, I mean, okay. it's, obviously it's going to destroy most of the evidence that the fire didn't already. Did the fire? You're right. Yes. So you kind of have an uphill, but well, you, you definitely have an uphill battle yeah. on that. And then trying to work backwards from that to try to get prints, that sort of thing. Now you've got water damage, you've got heat that could destroy yeah. any kind of DNA. I mean, I, yeah. Not to mention even, I guess, just like the, not the destruction just from the water, like wetting everything and washing things away, but like spraying things out or away from the car, right? True. I guess like displacing yeah. things. Yeah, that's a good point. You will have displacement. You'll have um, items century electronics mm. that back then that probably would have been damaged in the heat and fire yeah. and 
that year in 2014 still right. have, you know, phones with decent, you know, um, information on them, in other words, to potentially help with your investigation. But that could be destroyed in something like that very easily. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the scene. That's what we've got to work with. Uh, and that's what happens there. So a few hours go by. Now it's the early morning hours of December 7th. Her parents are divorced, but her dad and stepmother and then subsequently her mother have all been made aware of um, of what has happened. And they essentially get to the hospital in Memphis. Like I said, two, two and a half hour drive, believe from where they were in this moment, um, about the time the, the, the bird is landing. OK, so they get there, meet Abby there or excuse me, Jess, Jessica there. And um, on December 7th, so like kind of overnight and into like the wee early morning hours of December 7th, uh, her prognosis was terrible. I mean, you know, medical, all everyone there knew pretty immediately that this was not a case that, you know, was going to be successful. Burns are usually determined in terms of prognosis based on a few different things. One is going to be the amount of the body burned, obviously any inhalation that may or may not have taken place um, and how long it's been. So her prognosis was poor from the start. And on those wee early morning hours of December 7th, Abby's mother, will, or why do I keep saying Abby? Um, Jessica's mother will say that she looked at her daughter and said, uh, you know, if this is too tough, you need, you know, you can let go. Like you don't have to hang on. And Jessica actually passed away just a few minutes after that. Um, so we'll talk a little bit. Her autopsy does reveal that she certainly was the victim of homicide. There was no accident here. There's no, no question about that. But what else do we know? We know that she had a gash on her head. So initial thoughts or that potentially she was knocked unconscious or aimed to be knocked unconscious and then set on fire. But the burns to her trachea uh, down into her lungs and the inside of her mouth and nose actually were so severe that it's indicated that the accelerant, they, I believe they're calling it lighter fluid, um, was actually like forcefully poured into her nostrils and down her throat. And then she was set on fire. Oh. So, when I say pretty horrible, this is one of the more horrible, horrible things I've ever, ever heard. Um, so keep that in mind. This is how how terrible this was. And and you've got to look at sometimes when we look at these cases, just the way someone dies is important for a lot of reasons. And this shows either someone in a hurry and trying to get it done as fast as possible or someone incredibly rageful, incredibly mm. just a heinous, like, no, you know what I mean? Or, yes. or personal or whatever the, the yeah. thought may be there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You can read it either way. Um, just because of that, because fire can be used to destroy DNA to, like we just said, just destroy evidence. So if it's a stranger on a stranger attack like that, that could be the motive for the fire or complete rage of, I'm going to make this person suffer. Mm -hmm. Or just uh, simply, or, I hate you. Just, like yes. I hate you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, keep in mind, I'm not sure if I, I said what year she was born, but if you don't want to do that math quickly, Jessica was just shy of her 19th birthday. So this was in December and her birthday was in February. Um, so she was still just a teenager. And so that's kind of where we are with that. We do know that the last person that talked or texted with Jessica 
was an acquaintance of hers whom she had known for about two weeks at this time. She'd known him since around Thanksgiving. And his name is Quentin Tellis. So Quentin and Jessica had known each other, like I said, for about two weeks prior to this. This was not a great guy. All right. Quentin was known to likely, and we will talk about this at a little bit more length in a moment, be involved in um, some gang activity. He already had kind of a rap sheet, some burglary, some assaults, things like that on him. Um, it was just definitely not known to be someone that probably her parents would be thrilled with her hanging around at the time. So that's the last person that talked or texted with Jessica um, that we know of for sure. So we know that there was some drug uses usage in this area. We know that Jessica did smoke a little pot. There are reports that maybe she did some other stuff. Um, I'm not really going to get into that because that doesn't actually come into play in this case. This was not a murder over drugs in that sense. So I'm not really too worried about talking mm-hmm. what Abby might have might or might not have gotten into. I don't want to speculate on that too much without all those facts. But in saying that, um, you know, we spoke before and there's the gang activity in that area was such that um, it's to be it's to be noted in the sense that uh, at this time, this part of Mississippi was about 50 percent black population, 50 percent white. Um, it was pretty rural. Obviously, it's pretty Southern. So this actually does cause some issues and some tensions later on as the trial as a trial starts to progress. But um, can would you like to speak to gang activity? I know you don't know that area specifically. Right. but Yeah. But from that, from you could probably in that era, going back to the mid 90s, you outside could probably take. Yeah, you could take Arkansas and sweep all the way towards the east coast so mm, all mm. the states boom 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 you have a massive influx in chicago based gangs okay so gangster disciples latin kings vice lords uh you know they they start to permeate out of chicago either through population shifts uh people going and serving time in federal prison mm-hmm. or other state prisons and then getting recruited in so when people talk about gangs, and especially 2014 in that area, from Memphis all the way down into Mississippi, all in that geographical, uh-huh. whatever, probably maybe like a hundred hundred mile radius, that those are some of the primary gangs that you're going to run into. Well, and, and, and they're pers- thousands and thousands deep from there all the way up to Chicago. It's not. This isn't like just five people hanging out. Somewhere. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then any splinters off of that, I would assume. Right. And yeah. so you hit the nail on the head there in the sense that um, Quentin Tellis has been, you know, presumably associated with uh, Vice Lords. Is that the one, one of the ones you mentioned there? So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Now we're in the era where people will post things in social media and especially. Exactly. Yeah. Even in 2014. He was doing that then. And that's how yes. he got. Mm-hmm. So. People always want to say, like, was somebody a gang member, that sort of thing. You can look at social media posts, and if they're doing hand signs, they have tattoos, if they use certain terminology, these things can be used as criteria to actually validate somebody. What it looks like, and and I'm not validating, I'm just simply saying, he is throwing hand signs in some photos that are very indicative of insane vice lords. Okay. So IVL. Mm-hmm. So when you start to to see that, it's one of those things where, and I'm probably going to do it backwards on here. But if you look at my hand, this is, or like this, this is your I, mm-hmm. V, and then L. Okay. So it's very, it's a very simple hand sign, but coupled that with um, references to being mighty, 
Okay. Mighty is short for almighty. So you actually have almighty vice lord nation and it's multiple sets. So insane vice lords, conservative vice lords. Okay. So, so yeah, so he was known to be affiliated with the, uh, with some gang activity there. So just to say that Jessica had gotten herself kind of, you know, in a crowd that was not particularly ideal in this sense. Um, <clears throat> so let's get into it a little bit more specifically. So when police start to get into, get onto the idea of Quentin Tellis, they start talking to him and he changes his story quite frequently when he's talking about the day of Jessica's murder. So initially he says that he was only with her in the morning time. He said that he'd gone to a store in Batesville around the time of her murder, but we have surveillance video. Again, we talk about the prevalence or um, lack thereof of CCTV and surveillance footage, depending on the year in question. This was 2014. So there was definitely, you know, were cameras around here and there. So actually surveillance video shows Quentin at a store at the store at 826 PM, which is more than 15 minutes after this fire had been discovered. Okay. So, the location data from their cell phones, and we'll talk about some discrepancies when it comes down to how these were used later on. The data from their cell phones showed that they were actually together until around 7.30 p.m. Remember, he said that they were initially just around each other in the morning of that day. So Quentin actually traveled to and from Batesville at the same time that Jessica did. So when he is told that they have this information, he changes his story, right? And he says then that he was with her until around 7 p.m. and said that a friend of his picked him up that night. But then when authorities questioned his friend, he said, no, Big Mike picked me up and we hung out. He got me around seven. Uh, so authorities go track down Big Mike. They talked to him. Well, actually, Big Mike said he'd gone to a football game in Nashville to watch the Tennessee Titans play. Ayo, Davey. Right. So. His attendance, Big Mike's attendance, was confirmed at the Titans game that night. So this completely disproves uh, Quentin's alibi at this point. So when they confront him again with these further discrepancies, he changes his story again and says that Jessica picked him up that night. They went to a Taco Bell in Batesville, and he said that they actually went back to his house and sat in the driveway, that they listened to music, and that she left at 7. So he's he switched his story just in this particular moment about three different times and included a false alibi. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So her cell phone location data, actually, and surveillance video from a gas station next to his home, Quentin Tellis's home, show that she actually left his house around 730 and drove to the area where she was then later found on fire. OK. Oh, my goodness. So a sample of his DNA was taken. This was found to match DNA that was taken from her car keys. Um, her car keys were actually found a little while later on this by this man who was pushing his baby in a stroller. Um, you'll find, too, a lot of this is not related. So this isn't some crazy case that we've uncracked that like seven people wind up dying and it's all related. It's not, it's unrelated, but mm -hmm. I feel like there were some high risk lifestyles going on. And so you'll find, as we talk about yeah. this, for instance, the guy that found her keys um, was later, um, I, I believe killed when a, a deputy ran into the back of his ATV. Like it's just, just mm -hmm. random stuff like that. Like that I'll mention people that a lot of these people are no longer around. Um, but the guy who found his, her keys, you know, I don't, there were whispers about him. I think he was cleared. 
but Quentin Tellis's DNA was found on her keys. I don't necessarily find this to be a big deal if he's been in her car, she's been in his car, mm -hmm. they've been around each other. But just know that for what it's worth, they say that one male's DNA was found and it has to be, it seems to be his. Um, the keys were, interestingly enough, though, found along a path that go between the crime scene where she was found burned and Quentin's sister's home. Okay, so he's kind of back and forth to his sister's a good bit that night, too. So that's mm -hmm. good to know. So surveillance video showed that a vehicle that they believe to be his sister's, it goes back and forth sometimes. Some sources say moms, some say sisters. Either mm -hmm. way, it's a white Tahoe um, that stopped briefly at his home around 7.50, 7.50 p.m. before it then drives toward where the crime scene is. And then we have video that show that he's actually changed his clothes about three different times um, throughout this day. Um, one of the times was around this time of night that we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. So um, because we have video of him going kind of in and out of like gas stations, this one gas station has a video camera that happens to point almost directly toward his home. So we have a better eye on him than I think he would have ever quite imagined. Mm -hmm. So prosecutors actually, so the state's case against Quentin is just this, that while they were in Quentin's driveway, that he advanced upon Jessica sexually and that she refused him. They believe that he became enraged in this, suffocated her until she was unconscious. Um, potentially, maybe this is when she would have gotten the gash in the head. And in order to keep himself from being so close to that crime, he drives her car to the area where it was found, then ran on foot to his sister's home, took her car, picked up a gasoline can from his home. This may sound far-fetched right now, but if you just continue to listen and you'll, you'll stay on track with me here. And then returned to Jessica's car, set it on fire. Um, his defense team actually says that um, they hang their hat on this idea of an Eric or a Derek when they, when mm -hmm. first responders ask, they've really kind of got nothing. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> their client has changed his story a lot of times. He doesn't have a great alibi. So they kind of have to go off of this. And so they're hanging their hat heavily on that Eric or Derek did this to her from this woman who presumably was in a great amount of shock, fully on fire down internally to her lungs on fire. Okay, guys, um, to where she says her last name is Tambers instead of Chambers, because by yeah. now the um, range of motion of her mouth is, is so limited because of the charring. So just keep all of these things in mind, but that would be the, the defense's best, Thing is just to say that like nope this wasn't eric or derek but the state laid out its case as i just read so um that that's kind of how this one goes i am going to go on and read you um the timeline and i'll make this as brief as possible so it doesn't get too dry but the timeline was actually based on a 96 page don't you worry it won't be that long powerpoint that the the prosecution presented mm -hmm. when this does actually go mm -hmm. to trial all right so we have the first time um, that Jessica, or excuse me, that Jessica's texts show that Quentin was asking her for sex was on December 3rd. Okay. Her death was December 6th. Okay. So on December 3rd is the first time that we have her text showing that he's asking for sex. Her, he says, I'm horny. And she replies, oh Lord, like that. Right. So I know I inferred a, um, a tone there, but she kind of continues to respond to him that way. So it sounds like 
as a woman, I think to me, it sounds like she's not trying to make him angry or mm -hmm. hurt whatever, but she's trying to kind of make it funny, but also like refuse yeah. his advances. Yeah. Um, so then he texts her again on the fourth saying that he's horny again. This is the next day. She responds again. Oh Lord. On the fifth, she then asks for money to eat. So she texts him saying that um, she needs money to eat. He responds with a sexual proposition and she says she only needs about six bucks. So then we have a few minutes later surveillance video at this gas station showing Quentin walking across the street to where her car has now come into view. And then he walks back to his driveway. So he kind of walks over that gas station and walks back. Now this gas station guys is called the M and M's. And this was known in this kind of rural area to be, um, I don't know if you had one of these growing up, like kind of in a rural area, there's like this one place where people kind of hang out. So this seems mm -hmm. to be where people loiter at this place. Yeah. So probably most of the town's gossip is mm -hmm. if you want to know something, these mm -hmm. people are going to be here. They're going to know it there. So this is the the M&M. Whenever I say the gas station, it's the same one that's positioned um, directly across from Quentin Tellis's home. And that's how we have so much information here uh, with video surveillance. All right. So we have on... Uh, on the 6th, so this would be the day that Jessica is murdered. On the 6th, around 9 o'clock in the morning, she wakes up and sends a text that she's awake to uh, Quentin. Okay? So we have cell phone data showing that she's actually at home, at her home on Carlisle Road at this time. Her mom, or excuse me, his mother, Quentin's mother's white Chevrolet Suburban, leaves his house, heads up the road, she calls him and they talk for about a minute or so. Um, we have her at a gas station making a purchase. We have him texting her saying, quote, I'm ready. This is all like 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. We have Jessica on camera again at the gas station talking to a couple of acquaintances. We later find out there were just two or three men that were kind of in and out of camera view. Mm -hmm. They have really nothing to do with the case. They, they were cleared of any wrongdoing. They just happened to be people in that place when she was there as well. No one else is with her. So she leaves and pulls into Quentin's driveway. All right. So then they together head South on highway us 51. So we have them driving circles around some back roads. And then she calls a girl, Kesha Myers. She calls her again. They go pick Kesha up. Um, I'm almost done wrapping up this timeline, but these things are very important guys. And so then Quentin calls his own sister, um, Laquinta Tellis, they drop, they drop um, Quentin off at the M at the M and M at that gas station, and then she and the girl Kesha leave. So Jessica and Kesha now are alone in her car. Then eventually we have Quentin walking back to the gas station again, and now he's changed clothes. This is 10:55 a.m. So this is one of the three times that we know he changed clothes this day. He's now wearing black shoes, lighter pants, red shirt, and hat plaid coat um we have them going home this is about the time that i said jessica goes home kind of takes a nap hangs out um we do have quentin texting i need you and she responds what do you need some loving and then she and then or excuse me he says some loving and she said oh lord can't and so she kind of again is just kind of blowing him off anytime yeah. he asks that so she's not being hateful but she's not um accepting of this at all so then we have Jessica's phone silent from 221 until 423. And this would be consistent with when her mother says that she was taking a nap that day. 
All right, so then we have Quentin calling her and waking her up at 4.23 that afternoon. Um, and then we have, just bear with me because there are a few moving puzzle pieces here. Mm -hmm. But that same afternoon, between, let's say, 3.30 and 4.15, we have Shakita Jackson. So that's actually Quentin's girlfriend who lives out of town. Okay, so she does not live locally. She's trying to contact Quentin to give her some money so she can come visit him. All right. So she texts him specifically. I'm trying to come up. Call me. Uh, his phone is showing that he's at home. And then we have uh, Jessica making some phone calls to some friends. And then finally, Jessica tells Quentin that she'll go via text, that she'll go get something to eat with him if he'll pay for it. Okay. So they talk a few times. They're going back and forth. We have more security video um, around 524 that evening that shows Jessica back at this gas station. This one's interesting because she talks with someone that's off the screen. Uh, she picks up a penny off the ground. She goes inside, makes a purchase. She comes out and pumps gas. This is interesting because um, I know BC always talks about totality. If you look at, you can't just look at one specific thing in a case. You've got to look at the whole pattern, look at the whole picture. And this gas station attendant here at the M&M, what actually stands out to him more than almost anything else is not the frequent comings and goings of that day. It's that Jessica spent $14 on gas. He said that she never had spent that much on gas. Um, you've got to think she's texting Quentin to ask for three, four, five, six dollars to eat something. Yeah. So he said she's the one that would always come in, you know, and maybe drop three bucks and get gas, five dollars and get gas. So to him, the fourteen dollars really stood out. Mm hmm. Uh, so she gets $14 worth of gas. Uh, we won't talk about this anymore, but I want you to know this is how bad things happen in towns like this when word of mouth spreads and things are not accurate. The owner of this gas station, or the clerk, excuse me, is a Middle Eastern man. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have primarily, like I said before, like white folks and black folks that visit this place. He's Middle Eastern. Uh, by all accounts, just a super nice guy. Everyone had everything good to say about him. Pretty successful there in his venture at that gas station. But he actually tried to help police in the event of all this happening. He told them that about the $14, and he turned over all his surveillance tape, saying, here, it shows a lot, because mm -hmm. the guy you guys keep talking about lives across the street here. And so when he did, rumors start circulating that he had something to do with this. He the clerk? Or he the, the clerk. Okay. So this gets so bad that it becomes almost like a lynch mob for this clerk uh, okay. to the point yeah. that he's driven out of town. So there's not much more to say to him. He mm -hmm. had an alibi. He's cleared. He was never a suspect. But he moved out of town um, after mm -hmm. this case, by, after turning that video in. And he'll say, like, I was just trying to help. And then people just start talking. And, and here we are. Yeah. So that happened. We have um, they're just kind of calling back back and forth with each other on and off camera all this and that. So then we have that Jessica's phone shifts to different towers in Batesville. That that's going to matter because when we look at where her phone was pinging, um, this was part of the prosecution's case that the defense will try to debunk based off of the technology they had at the time. So we have Quentin calling his sister at 6 17 PM. He and Jessica leave the Taco Bell area and head back South. And then we have, um, them getting back to Cortland where they lived around 6.30 p.m. He will say that they went back to his house and that his mom's white suburban is at the house. He says that 
he had sex with Jessica right behind the house, like in an adjacent property uh, that couldn't be seen from his home. Her phone is registering her just south of the gas station, which would be the area that Quentin's describing. And he tells investigators during this time that the two were smoking pot in Jessica's car. And so she makes Jessica at 648 makes the last call she ever makes to her mom. It lasts just over a minute. Her mom has said since that she just, you know, we notice things sometimes without understanding what we're noticing. So she said that it sounded very quiet when she was on the phone with her. Mm -hmm. And that usually when she was on the phone with Jessica, there would be music playing or some background, like people talking or whatever. She seems to think she was with Quentin at this time, kind of just based on that. It's just never that quiet when she talks to her. It feels Mm -hmm. funny to her once they get to talking about it. Take what you will from that. But, you know, it is interesting what our brains kind of, subconsciously pick up on that we never mm-hmm. knew we were already in tune with hearing or thinking yeah. about right mm-hmm. um so we have between 649 and 726 neither one of them are using their phones okay so we have five women leaving five different messages on quentin's phone between 655 and 741 he doesn't answer any of them okay. even though he's been on that phone all dead yeah. blasted day texting and calling different women his sister his friends her, mm-hmm. Jessica. So five women leave five messages that he does not respond to. One of them is his girlfriend who's out of town trying to come see him, who says, oh, well, um, presumably because she can't get up with him. So then we have a vehicle leaving his house at 7.10 p.m. He tells investigators later that it's his uncle, Sammy. Uh, and then we have headlights appearing. This is the last one, and we're going to wrap up this timeline. I know that gets dry, but we have headlights appearing at Quentin's house, or sorry, at the driveway next to his house. And this is around 7.26 p.m. We know that the lady that lived in that property was not home. She was at work. So it was an empty, like an empty driveway, empty house. So um, her, meaning Jessica's cell phone pattern now shifts dramatically west. Dramatically is the word prosecution uses when they present this case at 7.30 p.m. This would be when she's on the scene where she later was found burned. Uh, his phone, Quentin's, like, quote, wakes up mm-hmm. at 7.42 p.m. And that's, remember, he's not responded. He's not responded to these women who have been texting him. It's been in kind of sleep mode now for quite a while. So at 7.42, his phone wakes up. He calls Jessica and leaves a voicemail. Then he follows with a text that says, quote, Bay, my friend's coming over tonight. I'll call you tomorrow. Good night, sweet dreams. He later tells the police that he was kind of letting her, him, letting Jessica know that his girlfriend's coming in from out of town. Basically kind of like, don't call me. Yeah. My girl's coming in. They, police and prosecutors, will say that they feel like this was an alibi text mm-hmm. um, just to make it look like you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to be talking to you tonight. My girl's coming in. Yeah. So uh, he then calls his girlfriend that's out of town at 746 and says that he's going to walk to his sister's house and borrow her car. But there's a cutout trail that goes from where Jessica was found on a certain road to the subdivision where Quentin's sister lives. And that's where her keys would later be found along that route. Um so he asked to use his sister's car. His phone goes silent again for about 20 minutes, even though he's had these texts pinging all day long, mm-hmm. right? Now it's mm-hmm. getting to be nighttime. So now we have a, a vehicle seen on that gas station from the gas station uh, property surveillance camera. A vehicle is seen 
pulling into Quentin's driveway to a storage shed. It remains there for one minute and 42 seconds. He tells FBI agents later uh, that he keeps a five-gallon gas can in that shed. It's too dark and grainy to decipher a driver or the tag on that mm -hmm. car that pulled in at that time. But then at 7.52, that vehicle leaves the driveway. And a vehicle at 8 p.m. that matches the description of his sister's white SUV can be seen on the gas station video heading toward Batesville, out of town at a high rate of speed. He tells investigators later that it, quote, could be him going to get a green dot card to send to his girlfriend so she can come for a visit. Um, and then we, the rest is history. We have 807. The phone call comes into 911 about the burning car at 809. Responders get there. Uh some of it lines up. Some of it absolutely does not line up with what he has said. We do have him at 857. This is the last stamp we'll talk about here on this timeline. At 857, we have uh, Quentin showing back up on camera at that gas station. Now he has on white shoes, jeans, a white shirt, and a new lighter colored jacket. He later tells investigators he took a bath before he changed his clothes at all these questionable hours. Um, and then we have, y'all, listen to this. So we have a guy on the surveillance video at that gas station. Remember when I said this was the hangout? This is where if you want to know gossip around town, you're probably going to go here. So they have a man telling what they consider a dramatic story on mm -hmm. the surveillance camera. Probably the way I tell a story all day long. Arms flailing and really? <laughs> describing everything like with your hands. Yeah. Yep. Um, appearing to describe the scene of a burning car. Mm. Quentin is there at the gas station when this is going on and he does not interact with this guy. He doesn't appear to have any lengthy conversations while he's there. And he later tells the cops that that's when he walks back over to the gas station is when he hears about what happened to Jessica. Mm -hmm. But even though he had been in constant contact with Jessica that whole day, he doesn't call her. He doesn't text her. He's just heard that her car was on fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He doesn't call her. He doesn't text her. And then within a couple hours, I will say sources differ between it being between one hour and a day or two, but between one hour and a day or two, mm -hmm. Quentin deletes all of Jessica's texts, calls, contact information from his phone. Mm -hmm. um, when they, Ask him about this. He says that he doesn't want a dead person's contact in his phone taking up space. Basically, he won't be using it anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, right? Uh, yeah. Uh. So then, go by. I've got little, y'all could see my little codes and things and whatever, what have you on here. Um, <laughs> doesn't want a dead person's, my goodness. So, hmm, what are you thinking right now? Yeah, no, I was just going to say that <clears throat> the, the idea of all the phone information, mm -hmm. you see a pattern of behavior. So you can, you know, I'm quite sure they're, they're extracting information for mm -hmm. weeks and weeks and weeks. And you can see that pattern of behavior, like you're saying, constantly on your phone, constantly on your phone. Then all of a sudden you're not. And, and just like that incident occurring mm -hmm. should have normal behavior, send a text. Mm -hmm. Are you okay? You know, everybody up here at the M and M saying your right. car's on fire or something bad happened. Just, let Just me hit know. me up. Let me know you're safe. You're good. Whatever. Right. Um, 
even if even if that night he's somewhere else and he doesn't want to be want, with her. Right. He would I would imagine most people you follow back up with that person. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're texting and, and doing the things they were doing. Exactly. So we have in October of 2017, Quentin actually goes on trial for Jessica's murder. Initially, the verdict was actually read as not guilty. However, thankfully, at least, um, it was discovered that some of the jury misunderstood the directions okay. um, and how to, I guess, label their decision. So then many of them came back saying, no, 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 we voted guilty. Mm -hmm. So an hour, I think it's because like what, like there might've been one more person who said not guilty. So they thought they would just say it's a not guilty verdict. Like they didn't understand oh, that, right. <laughs> that having that many of the, you know, having the, yeah. even the one guilty, but much less multiple, because it, it was almost 50, 50. Okay. Um, many of them had voted guilty an hour later, they returned and said that they could not reach a verdict and a mistrial was declared. And you guys, you know that that's important because had he been, had he been deemed not guilty, we wouldn't be talking about trying him again. But because it was a mistrial, you can try someone again. So a new trial began on September 24th, 2018, actually in a different county. They thought they could repopulate the jury differently. Okay. Um, this time it was more of kind of like a 50-50 in terms of like white and black jury members. Uh, but this new jury was also unable to reach a verdict. So there was another mistrial yet again. And we have prosecutors deciding whether or not to potentially try Quentin in a third trial in this case. So as of mm. this day in January 2024, Quentin mm. is not in prison um, or awaiting trial for mm -hmm. Jessica Chambers' murder. So let me tell you guys a little something else that that might be of a might be of interest to you when it comes to this case. OK, and I'll make this kind of quick and then I want to hear everybody's thoughts. We're going to fast forward quickly. All that took place in 2014. OK, so in July of 2015, July 29th of 2015, we have a Taiwanese exchange student who I'm going to butcher this name. I'm sure of it, but. Ming Chen. So let's do that. Um, like I said, she was a Taiwanese exchange student living in Louisiana in 2015. So a year after Jessica Chambers murder. Okay. She died the evening of July 29th after she had been stabbed over 30 times. According to the warrant, it's believed that actually superficial cuts and slices were used to inflict pain. So she was tortured until she provided her PIN number. All of this over an ATM card. Oh, okay. Yeah. The murderer tortured and robbed her of her Chase Bank debit card and had substantial financial gain from this per the warrant. After gaining, this is quote, like on the warrant, after gaining possession of the debit card, he brutally murdered her by repeatedly stabbing her and letting her body rot and decompose until being discovered. In the murder charge warrant, phone calls to the Chase bank number that's printed on the back of her card, her debit card, were reported in an attempt to connect Quentin Tellis to the crime scene at the time of her death. Tellis was visible on Walmart. Okay, by now, Tellis is living, Quentin Tellis is living in Louisiana. Quentin was visible on the Walmart security footage with, so on July 28th, the day before her death, at 4.30 the next day, 
So made an ATM withdrawal of $20 after being taken to the bank by a friend. A phone call that she made at 5.22 p.m. to secure a ride to church was the last reported activity on her phone until after 8 p.m. Then two times at 8.16 p.m., her phone dialed the Chase Bank number and hung up before the call was answered. Okay. At 8.16 and 8.18 p.m., Quentin Tellis' phone dialed the same number and the debit card number and PIN were entered. According to the warrant, the GPS records indicate that his phone was plotted within 60 meters of her apartment at the time of the call. Mm. It's a pretty mm. small dial-in uh, region there. On August 1st, a $400 withdrawal from the card occurred. Um, we have GPS records that show that his phone, Quentin's phone, was in Vicksburg, which is where the ATM was located, that this withdrawal took place. And at that same time, Quentin was also captured on ATM photos, making later withdrawals from this same card. When officers searched his residence, they discovered a pair of white shoes located in an outdoor storage shed that had been spray painted white. The warrant states that under the white paint was dark staining of suspected blood. However, the substance could not be verified as blood because the shoes had been washed and then painted. So I'm not sure why, you know, I don't know if they were yeah, fabric like, well, and it yeah. had soaked in. I'm not sure how that mm -hmm. goes, but that's how that, how that looks. Um, so in February, 2016, Quentin Tellis was charged and pled guilty to illegally using her debit card and sentenced to 10 years as a mm. habitual offender. Mm. He was not charged with her murder. They fully, fully are looking at him in her in Ming-Chen's murder. Okay. Mm -hmm. They have said before, and thankfully so, because we've talked about this over and over with these cases, they're not quick to act. They said yeah. they don't want to touch this until they are a hundred percent sure mm -hmm. that they can secure a conviction. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's actually just in jail over the, over the idea that he used her debit cards, which he admitted to, which he, there's no, not, we have every ounce of evidence that he did this, yeah. that he used her cards. He is serving his burglary sentence in Marshall County Correctional Facility, and he's scheduled actually to be released in October of 2027. Uh, and they're not charging, they, they meaning in Louisiana, are not wanting to necessarily charge in Ming Chen's death uh, and murder at the hands of Quentin until they're hoping that authorities will charge again in Jessica Chambers. Okay. And if they secure a conviction, <clears throat> that then they will try to charge in um, Ming Chen's murder. They think that mm -hmm. it will work better that way. Sadly, Jessica's mother, Lisa, passed away in October of 2021. She was only 52 years old. Um, but without any closure, to make this even sadder, you've got Jessica's brother, who actually was killed in a car wreck two years prior to her death. Um, but back to Quentin. So Jessica was murdered in 2014. The next year, Ming Chen is murdered, but before he had been indicted on Jessica's. So in his brain, mm -hmm. he's got free of Jessica's. He's moved to Louisiana. So he wasn't charged with her murder until after Ming Chen's murder. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Sam Sam? Yeah. Oh. Whew. I'm done. Well, and I, I was going to say two things. You're right. The patients on homicide cases. They, it sounds like they locked him in on the credit card thing, uh, slowed down some of his activity. But yes, it just um, you got to work them slow, and uh, hopefully the families understand that, you know. But yeah, it just. What's your thoughts on Quentin? 
Based off of what you know. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, I always, I always say that because I'm. I not know. I'm not least, asking you. Yeah. But based on all that information, yes, it's very, very difficult to not, you know, not not be able to to not be able to explain some of that stuff away. Now, if you meet a cat that changes clothes three times a day, and is always wanting to look, yeah. you know, clean, that's different. If somebody pretty much an average person is not changing clothes three times a day, you know, I don't think this dude was either. I've seen pictures of him. Right. But when, when you get to a lot of homicide investigations, the last person that has contact with the victim is either going to be your suspect or potentially a very good witness to, to tie in that last window mm -hmm. of activity. Um, so again, just a little bullet point recap, right? He changed his story multiple times upon initially being questioned. Yeah. Now we know he was a bad dude. He was mm -hmm. already involved in some nasty stuff. So we've talked about the fact that people could lie yes. and not be implicated in the murder. He could not be guilty of this, but just not want people to know what he was really doing. Yeah. However, we have that, that gas station surveillance footage has come in such like mm -hmm. crux with this because it aims toward his home. So we have him leaving and entering his driveway at these mm -hmm. times that aligns with where his phone was pinging, it all, it all lines mm -hmm. up to this story, to this, to the uh, case that the state laid out in trial. It all makes perfect sense. In fact, even his, um, his reaching out to his sister, that, mm -hmm. that SUV being seen at certain times that would make it sit, make it make sense yeah. that he yeah. did exactly what they said. Um, yeah. Uh, we know that he exhibited rage upon Ming Chen. I know he's not been convicted of mm -hmm. her murder, but we know that he was with her, mm -hmm. that her card was used, like not even used. Her bank was called to like access her bank account. She was tortured to give over the pin. And then yeah. that same evening he's using her cards and we have video of him using her card, all the receipts, all the things. So for all accounts and purposes, come on, like keep, so that and, and but that, it exhibited the yeah. rage that right yeah yes. he tortured this woman. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you have people who will go out there and do a lick or do a robbery. They just put a gun in somebody's face and say, "Run your pockets." Straightforward. They get right. the cash and they leave. You then have people who like to commit robberies because they want to see the tear, the tear, the fear mm -hmm. in people's eyes. Like straight up dudes have been like, "Yeah, no, it's it's good." Like it and. Sometimes they make people get buck naked in the street, like whatever. I mean, they do some, and it gets more sadistic. At that time, too, that was a common trend to get somebody, take them to an ATM, mm -hmm. pistol whip them, torture them, whatever. Yeah, gang members doing it to other gang members. Mm. Gang members doing, doing it to very high-end weed dealers. Oh, I had so, one of the hospitals I worked at. It was a neuro ICU unit, and an elderly couple... Interesting case. I'm eating chocolate. What? And who put that chocolate there for you? You put it there. Yes, I it's did. my birthday chocolate. That's right. Um, an elderly couple had recently gotten a new car, and y'all, this is actually it's it's terrible. It it ultimately works out okay, but it's interesting because when they bought the car at the car dealership, they were saying, "Oh, this has got this fancy new function." In the trunk, like mm -hmm. if a child, if someone accidentally gets caught in the trunk, you can, there's an inside, an interior trunk release. Okay. This is an elderly couple not planning to be in their trunk. So one night, um, this was in a town that's pretty known for some yucky stuff going down, uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And <laughs> that's weird. And, uh, and 
I say what? No, you got someone in the chat who, who served some time down in Fayetteville. Mm -hmm. Josh Hood was down there in 87. Yeah, you yeah. know about it, Josh. Mm -hmm. So, I'm eating chocolate. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, this couple, though, so it goes, the um, someone knocked at the door. And mm -hmm. this was like a textbook, case the joint, distract the man of the home situation. They're in their 70s. The knock on the door comes. The gentleman goes to the door. A man is talking to him, asking for someone else, like asking for a man's name. The homeowner says that this person doesn't live there, yada, yada. He shuts the door. Well, while this was happening, the guy at the door had a few other guys casing out the place, mm -hmm. walking around the home. Mm -hmm. And when they realize that it's just this older man and woman that are there, they feel brazen enough, kick the door in, rifle to the guy's head, um, tie them up, tie up the man and woman, put them in the car. They put her in the front seat and they put him in the trunk mm -hmm. and they take him to the ATM like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to ask him for, and they're telling them we don't have debit cards. Like we don't have ATM cards. All we have is cash and checks. Like you can have yeah. what you want. Mm -hmm. We don't have one. So at some point the wife is able to get herself free and get like get out like they make a stop and she's able to get out and run bound her I guess just her hands were bound uh, to someone's home and, and call 911. But in the meantime, they were going on the highway. That old man in the back who had a big old bump on his head and he was like hogtied mm -hmm. um, remembers that trunk release that the car mm. salesman had told him about and is able to utilize that and roll himself on out of the car. Hence why he was in the neuro ICU oh. and I was taking care of him. Uh -huh. He ultimately was fine. But um, when you're talking about that at this time, this was a, yeah, like a, a, yeah, a forcefully was... take you to the ATM. This is different. Right. This yeah. situation mm -hmm. with Quentin Tellis and um, Ming Chen, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> this was inflicting torture, pain yeah. to get that. Sure, there was a point for it. It was to get the ATM passcode. Mm -hmm. I, I think he could have gotten it with far less. So yeah. this is something yeah. he clearly exhibits that he enjoys. So to the point of Jessica Chambers, to wrap it back around to the initial case, she had such, um, it, these are not, you guys, like smoke inhalation wounds. It was to the point that, you know, like I said, her her nostrils um, internally, down her trachea, her bronchi, everything was actually physically burned because he had poured lighter fluid, uh, is the accelerant they believe it was, down her nostril and throat before he set her on fire. So... So we're looking at two cases where women within a year of each other are mm -hmm. murdered after yeah. some, some pretty bad stuff. So either way, this dude's not evidently convicted of murder. Though. So he's serving a burglary charge in mm -hmm. Mississippi and may, you yeah. know, be out in 2027. We'll see. Yeah, I think Josh had made a reference to that about him still being incarcerated. But yeah, just... Hmm. I do want to say to everybody in the chats, uh, I just mentioned him earlier, but Josh Hood. Yeah. Writing some amazing books out there. Um, he's a former cop, SWAT, uh, for many years, former 82nd Airborne, uh, deployed. Just a really good down-to-earth guy. Uh, he worked that area, Memphis area. Mm -hmm. um, so he jumped on tonight, got in the chats. Uh, for everybody out there, go check out his books, The Guardian on Blackstone Publishing. He's got three uh, other books published under Treadstone series, which is okay. Jason Bourne movies, you know, the Treadstone stuff. Um, 
So, and then he's got two books bef before that one, uh, Warning Order and um, Clear by Fire. Nice. He's a good dude. I, I was glad he was able to jump on. I think maybe in the future he'd be a great guest for some other cases that he's kind of aware of for that area and stuff. But just a good okay. dude, man. Just a good dude. Just a good dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. Um, yeah. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Mm-hmm. Gosh, my computer's on such a delay. So, you think you wouldn't say you're not committing? No, I don't. Oh. Mm -mm. Are you saying what? Well, it's well, opinion. I understand you're I not know, working the case. Okay. No, I I'm saying. I, I'm just saying that. Yeah, I mean that it would be very so hard. So what I was going to say not, is there became yeah. some question, and I don't want to have the tunnel vision. I get it. There's just yeah. too much here. But um, immediately following this, there was some discord between or in in the town in the sense that uh, so Jessica Chambers, like I said, was fair, blonde, and blue. Uh, Quentin Terrace was a black guy there. So there was some issues there, not amongst the Jessica's friends really or his, but there were some people like there were some like they would say that there were like some black women who didn't love her because she was dating the black guys. And there were mm. some white guys who didn't love mm -hmm. that she was dating the black guys or whatever. But then really when they interview like their closer friend group and everybody around, I'm like, nobody cared. Like nobody yeah. was upset about any of it. That was just more of like actually one woman put it well when his I don't know that she was one of his friends. One woman that was Jessica's friend said, uh, like, it, it wasn't like that. Like, the people who make that much noise, and she said it, and this applies to everything in America, I think, but the people who were speaking the loudest were people that didn't even know anything about their relationship, mm -hmm. weren't around town, didn't live there with them. Um, you know, so I feel bad for the store clerk. Yeah, and I would say in 2014, just like, I mean, what are we now in 2024? So 10, 10 years later? Mm -hmm. Um I think you'd be hard pressed to be anywhere in the South near a major city, anything like that. Um, and still have like, what would have been the equivalent in like 1960s oh, or fifties where people, you know, with biracial couples and stuff. I Nobody don't care. Yeah. I, th I think the people, like you said, that get the loudest about that user ones not involved or they just love some drama and they want to stir it up. Yeah. Anyway. That's usually, I feel like the case. Yeah. But, so, all right, guys, we can start to wrap it up. Um, thank you, guys. Bosco has a podcast called Forever Road. We had Abby in the house earlier who has an amazing podcast called On Being a Police Officer. Uh, we got Faulkner in the house. Josh Hood, like we mentioned. Silly was in here. Probably is maybe still. I don't know. Carly. Uh, James Barber. Davey. A bunch of our friends. Yeah, if I miss yeah. somebody, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But um, we always appreciate it, and we love to see you guys. And it's a lot of fun. So, Always come back. Uh, like BC said at the beginning, he's teaching classes. They're virtual. There will be some here in Wilmington in person if you're in this area or would like to travel to it. Uh, those might come up around March-ish. Mm -hmm. But before then, the virtual ones are too easy. You just shoot him an email, shoot him a message on Instagram at BC Sanders or the Disruptors Podcast with BC and Ski, and that way you can get yourself a virtual seat. So from the comfort of your home, take a class. He's got all the prices laid out. Does a lot of stuff with all that. Um, hey, Faulkner. Thank you. Um, so that's what he's got going on. Got some merch at Minor League Studios. I, at some point, will have merch on Minor League Studios. <laughs> and uh, and that's that. So tomorrow, though, if you want updates on any cases, if you want to go back through some of the cases we've talked about, if you have questions or want to recommend anything, you can follow me on Instagram at Andrea Update. 
Um, as always, this show Night Shift airs on YouTube every Tuesday night live at 8, 7 central. So you can always hop in the chats. Like I said, it's free. Hit those buttons, y'all. Subscribe, rate, review. Oh, yeah. And y'all are supposed to be doing some creative reviews. Let's do that. That'll come with a gift. Oh, yeah. Some fun reviews. Yeah, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, yes. So you can always listen here or watch on YouTube. And then you can listen Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, usually the next day, whatever this show is, will drop. So I think, I think uh, that's yeah, all. One last comment. Possibly getting ready to post on there. I can't. Here's my number showing. Okay. Uh, John asked, is Jessica okay? Jessica is not okay at all. John, is it John? Oh, no, she's not. She's not. Neither is Annie. All right. So, you ready to wrap it up? Yeah. I'll follow your lead. <laughs> all right. Y'all, thanks for showing up. Hey, John. You can find John at Com Center. That's his show. And spoilers, yeah. All right, guys. Hey, we're going to wrap it up. But y'all have a good night. So we will see y'all next Tuesday.